Hello and welcome to night number 10 of 31 Nights of Frights, year 3, the franchise. My name is Adam and I'll be your host. Night number 10, of course, takes us back on our third trip to Clive Barker's Hellraiser. This is the 1992 Anthony Hickox-directed Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth. When we left the world of Hellraiser last time in Hellbound Hellraiser 2, Pinhead was more or less banished to a pillar, and also his Cenobite troops were dead. So theoretically, it should have been it and the final one. If you think about it, we had good closure for the Kirsty character, and also the fact that Pinhead was separated from his actual soul, who is Captain Elliot Spencer, a World War I captain, it truly seems like everything should have been all good. But no, this is a horror franchise, so we all know that everything is not all good, and not only that, there's still money left to be made in the franchise, so why not continue it? The movie starts off with scumbag nightclub owner J.P. Monroe, played by actor Kevin Bernhardt, going to purchase a rare piece of art, which just so happens to be the pillar, the hell pillar, or whatever it's actually called, that Pinhead was banished to at the start of the film. This weaves in with the story of Joey, played by actress Terry Farrell, and she sees a guy that the puzzle box that we all know and love. So it's kind of, I guess, luck that she more or less gets dragged into the story here. Pinhead eventually gets free, of course, and, well, all hell breaks loose, literally, from there on. Surprisingly enough on this one, with my recent rewatch of it, I actually enjoyed it. I remember not really caring for this one very much when I watched it before in the past, It does have its share of extremely cheesy moments. Some of those moments include a lot of cheesy one-liners from Pinhead himself, and I also don't know if I like the ramped-up nature of this one. Because it is hell on Earth, Pinhead needs to create some new Cenobites, and the new Cenobites are actually really lame. I don't like the guy that's shooting CDs from his head. I don't like the lasers and whatnot from the cameraman Doc as he gets turned into a Cenobite. As cool and unique as the Cenobites were in Hellraiser 1 and 2, here they just kind of seem like they tried too hard or something. And not only that, it's weird to me that Pinhead himself even goes and makes fun of them. He says that they're a shadow of his former troops. And I would say that's true because I can't say that they're really that great looking here. It's actually a letdown and the all out action is a bit of a letdown too. This is the third movie in canon of the Hellraiser series and yet it feels completely different from the first two films. That's okay but it doesn't feel like it gels with the first two films at all. The acting across the board is acceptable for everybody involved. It's about what you would expect uh, from this type of movie. And I would say that Doug Bradley is Pinhead. He actually does a great job here. Yes, he does a great job anytime that he's Pinhead, but this time here, the movie allows him to actually play the role a little bit colder 
because of the fact of Elliot Spencer being separated from Pinhead, it creates some weird moments in the movie because you have Elliot Spencer and his soul, and then you also have Pinhead. And Pinhead is missing that humanity here. Not that he had that much in the other films, but he did actually have a human element. And with this one, it allows him to become a killing machine. He gets some great lines in, some of them cheesy, some of them awesome. And he really is the saving grace of the whole movie. Director Anthony Hickox, of course, did the Waxwork films. And those are a little bit weird and trippy, and this is no exception. It does have some time travel elements, I guess. Dream time travel elements. It's hard to actually describe them. And it feels like the movie may be a little bit more ambitious than what they were allowed to do. And I don't know if that's the case, but it does have a weird feeling throughout the entire film. And it doesn't really work out in the movie's favor. There's a lot of stuff going on, and it just kind of seems a little messy overall. Of course, it's not as messy as something like Hellraiser 4, which of course we will get to on another episode. But as nice as it is with Pinhead being unbound at this point, that's actually what opens up some of the cheesiness of the film. I think one of the most groan-inducing moments for me is the nightclub slaughter Everybody in the nightclub winds up getting killed. Pinhead shooting out his hooks and chains and all kinds of different things. And we see him do weird stuff that we've never seen before, such as turn water into an icicle, a pinhead icicle, and proceed to kill one of the patrons there at the nightclub. And again, I think they thought that it was something cool. But it, of course, is bad CGI and doesn't look great and really doesn't fit with Hellraiser in general. And I think that's one of the big problems. You feel like the first and second Hellraiser films are kind of smaller and more intimate. They focus more on the story. And while there is a lot of story here, it seems like they were focused on ramping up the body count. And this movie does have a R-rated and an NC-17 unrated version. The one that I did watch is the unrated version, so it does include more footage. It doesn't mean that it's any more of a better film, but it does flush things out a little bit more with some of the scenes. But it also opens up to more killing scenes, and they're not really needed especially for a Hellraiser film. Yes, these are very gory movies, and they're nasty at parts as far as with the flesh ripping and this and that, but what separated them was the human aspect of them. And here, we get very little of that. We get Joey's story, which is interesting because it's guided by Captain Elliot Spencer, and I think that's probably one of the stronger parts of the film in general we get more backstory with Elliot Spencer we get backstory with Joey and her connection with Elliot and it works very well in the movie's favor I did kind of enjoy the fake ending to the movie it seemed too easy and of course it is so we do get a pretty good ending at at the end of the film 
I do like the fact that Pinhead does merge back with Elliot Spencer. Elliot Spencer's soul more or less sacrifices himself for Joey, and it saves the day at that point. One thing that this movie does, it allows Kirsty to have a almost Sarah Connor-esque type of moment. Of course, Sarah Connor from Terminator 2, they have those videos of her where she's getting interviewed by the psychiatrist. And we get a little bit of that here because Joey gets the tapes from the Chenard Institute, which is pretty cool. It's actually a good tie-in to the second film. And also, it allows us to see Kirsty one more time. The only problem with that is, is that Ashley Lawrence doesn't really look like the same Kirsty from the original Hellraiser films. And you can tell that it's reshot footage. It is a good idea and a good inclusion. I do like that they included this scene. And it actually allows us to have more of a connection to the rest of the franchise as opposed to a movie that feels more or less a side story. Yes, it ties into the other two, but it also feels like it's separate on its own. As much as I do enjoy this one, this is actually where the Hellraiser series started to go downhill. It's a product of cuts, and not only that, it feels like it's a movie that they really just wanted to continue the franchise on. It doesn't feel like the other two, where they're essential. You could easily skip the third movie, even the fourth movie, and be done with it, where Hellraiser 1 and 2 really do complete the story. So it makes any of the sequels going forward, it makes them unnecessary. We do get some good scenes in it, but at what cost and damage to the franchise? There is, I believe, 10 or 11 different Hellraiser films, and of course, the more they go on, the more diluted they become. And even though I enjoy the franchise as a whole, there's no denying that some of the later sequels are pretty bad. And this actually comes from somebody who one of their favorite sequels to Hellraiser is one of the direct-to-video ones that I'll get to in another episode. So yeah, really, this is a tough sell for the franchise in general. It took me multiple times over many, many years to actually enjoy this one, and I think a lot of fans out there probably feel the same way about it. As good as what it is, there's a lot of bad here, and it kind of balances out to like a 50-50, like a 5 out of 10, or two and a half out of five type of feeling about the movie. If they would have guided it a little bit further into some of the ideas presented, it may have resulted in a far more essential film. But as it stands, it's a pretty average sequel and average movie. I will say the ending to this one does directly lead into Hellraiser 4, which is nice because we see a building that is made up completely of the lament configuration the proper name for the box and it does lead directly into the next film which is nice i like that they were forward thinking with that and that they didn't completely abandon that idea for hellraiser 4 but we'll talk about that on a different night i'm going to close out tonight's episode as a reminder you can find me on twitter and instagram at adam underscore analyzes also, you can check me out at adamanalyzes.com. I have some past episodes on there if you want to get caught up. 
And if you don't do the whole social media thing, you can reach me at adamanalyzespodcast at gmail.com. If you do have a free moment, I would greatly appreciate it if you would take the time to leave me a five-star rating at the podcast listening platform of your choice, as it'll allow me to reach new listeners and continue making episodes. Plus, you know, I love those digital hugs. But with that being said, be kind and good night.